Welcome to The Rock Podcast. We are nearing the end of 1 Kings, and here in chapter 22, King Ahab's life and tragic death serves as a reminder to all about the futility of resisting the grace and love of God. Now, for Pastor Ross. All right, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's get started. 1 Kings chapter 22, the very last chapter of 1 Kings, but no worries, Second Kings is right around the corner. And did you know originally it was one book? And so, yeah, we've made it a lot easier dividing it into one and two. So uh, we're headed to chapter 22. Like I said, put your finger there and we'll get there in a moment. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge that we can't do anything apart from Jesus' help. Um, Apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing, especially when it comes to something that is spiritually discerned. We need the Spirit's help. So open the eyes of our understanding. We just commit this time to you. Father God, we we just don't want to come into church and and leave the same way we came in. You've got a purpose, and you want to change us. You want to speak to us. So, So we open our hearts to you, Lord. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's an ominous, uh, pretty worrisome scripture in the Old Testament. It's pretty famous. Your sins will find you out. (laughs) Now, uh, never was that scripture better illustrated than with our ever-sinning King Ahab. Uh, We've seen it time and again in his life. You're going to see it again this evening in chapter 22. Now, King Ahab is one of Israel's worst uh, kings as far as being evil. He's reigned for 22 years uh, after two decades of wreaking havoc. uh, It's time for him to die. (laughs) uh, as an act of God's judgment, and we'll see tonight how that goes. Now, he was bad to the bone from the beginning. He married a strong-willed, infamous, evil princess, the daughter of the king of Syria, thinking that would help him with, with his relationship with Syria. It did not help at all. It made things a lot worse. And that Infamous uh, uh, Syrian princess is none other than Jezebel, that femme fatale, uh, which means in French, fatal woman. She used her beauty and charm to plunge Israel into new depths of depravity, idol worship, uh, sexual immorality, just a reign of terror. Both of them, both of them, Ahab and Jezebel, Uh, notorious sinners in the Old Testament. Now, when we last tuned in, we were given a perfect example of how this devilish uh, duo operated as king and queen. Now, and it's this very incident that brings a prophetic word of God's judgment that both he, uh, King Ahab, and the wicked wife Jezebel would die 
in very undignified ways as a result of their relentless rebellion and evil against the Lord. And so tonight we're going to see half of the fulfillment of that word that they're both going to die because uh, he is going to be the one to see that prophecy fulfilled. Now, let me catch you up, if you weren't here last week, uh, to a little incident that got this whole thing started. It seemed so harmless. It was just all started with that, remember, that vineyard that was near his palace, and King Ahab eyed it and just thought to himself he coveted in his heart. You know, there's no such thing as just a simple, innocuous, or harmless sin, Every sin, I, I, I mean, speaking of snakes last Sunday, but, uh, you know, a baby rattlesnake is poisonous, just like the, the big ones, you know. And so just to covet something small, we saw it turn into this terrible thing. And what happened was he wanted to turn that vineyard into a vegetable garden, and he just started kind of that me monster thing, me want vegetable garden me have to have it, you know? So he, he thinks he can get the owner, Naboth, to do the wrong thing and sell him the land. It was against Jewish law to do that. And you'll remember from last time that he offered him a fair price and said, you know, I'll trade you whatever it takes. Surely you've got to have a price, man. I'm the king. I could just pay you off. But Naboth is a man of God, and he says, no can do. Uh, So what does the king do? You'll recall, he goes home to the palace, pretty downcast. Uh, He refuses to eat. He flops down on his bed, and he faces the wall and starts pouting like a toddler. Now Jezebel comes in to inquire, and she says, what's making hubby so sad? And uh, Jezebel mocks him when he answers He says, that Naboth has this perfect piece of property. I can envision a perfect little quaint vegetable garden, my organic veggies. (laughs) And he won't sell. And I'm mad. And so he won't eat dinner. She says, is this how the king of Israel acts? And she mocks him and says, snuggle your little blankie, uh, my sugar muffin, and I will get you this property. So he knows what she's going to do. She gets up, and you remember, uh, she forges uh, his name to a letter that tells the elders, (laughs) the wicked, corrupt elders of that town to hold a town meeting, put this man of God at the center, and put two thugs next to him, and have the two thugs accuse him of blaspheming God and and the king. That's a death sentence. And they do it, and before anybody knows what's happening, he's drug out of town and stoned to death, a man of God, to die that kind of death. Well, uh, his sins are about to be found out for uh, uh, another time here. So uh, the wicked king quietly goes down, because Jezebel comes back to him and says, hey, go check out the vineyard. It's yours. He's dead. And so he goes down there, and he's kind of creeping around. It's twilight, and you know, underneath one of the overhangs there is Elijah waiting because he's been prompted by the Holy Spirit. Go down and intervene and give God's judgment a word to this wicked man. And so he's coming around one of the, one of the vines, and there is Elijah standing there in the dark, and he says, you're 
a dead man. You and your wife, for your wickedness, for your murder, you will die in the same place that you killed that righteous man, and the dogs are going to have a field day, the birds of the air. And he says, you're wicked boys too. Your dynasty's over, your marriage is done, your life is over because you keep hardening your heart and sinning against the Lord. So interestingly, we saw that Ahab put on burlap, sackcloth, and he fasted, and, and, and he went about meekly. And the Lord says to Elijah, brings a word to Elijah, and says, get a load of this. Did you notice Ahab, the most wicked man uh, in Israel, is repenting before me? And so he said, because he's doing that, I, I'm gonna, he's going to buy some time here. I'm going to give him some time. Let's see. There's a stay of execution given to this man because he, he softened his heart. And God is just going to wait and see what comes of it. So now after three years, that's where we are now. Now after three years, God has got his answer. What's going to come of this? Is this true repentance or was this just an act? Well, God's got his answer. Uh, This is not going anywhere. Verse 1. For three years, there was no war between Syria, that's Aram, and Israel. Uh, But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the southern kingdom, went down. You always go down even though he's going north. You go down from Jerusalem because it's on a hill. He went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we're doing nothing to retake it from the king of Syria. I'm just going to call that place Syria now. So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replies to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses are as your own horses. So let's pause there and we kind of get our bearings. It's a little confusing here. Uh, Number one, if you're taking notes, broken promises. Now, there's a lot of compromising going on here in keeping with the entire book of 1 Kings. Uh, uh, let me explain what's going on here. Verse 1 says, No war for the last three years between Syria in the north and Israel, the northern kingdom in the south. Why is that? Do you remember chapter 20? They had a war, and Israel, by God's good grace, defeated Syria. And there was a treaty made. Now, I've got a map just to keep things uh, going here. The map of... All right, so we've got Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. All right? Syria's up here. Ramoth Gilead was taken by Ben-Hadad's father. Now, when he lost the last war, he promised to give that back. Remember when he came with a noose around his neck and he said, oh, please spare my life. Even though you guys have won, we know you guys are merciful. And King Ahab was supposed to kill him because God had already determined that that man should die because he was a vowed enemy of Israel and of the Lord's. But instead of having him executed, he said, okay, brother. And he let him go. And now this is the guy who, uh, surprise, surprise, he has not given back the cities he promised. So there hasn't been war between them for three years. But now 
This guy, the good King Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat. That's where we get that from. He's a good king, right? This guy's wicked. What is he doing uh, up here chumming around with King Ahab and, and agreeing to go to war with this guy? He says, listen, this guy comes down. He goes up to King Ahab. And King Ahab says, hey, man, Jehoshaphat, listen, will you go to war and win back Ramoth Gilead? I mean, he promised. It's been three years. I don't have it yet. Will you go with me? Why are they on good terms? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to answer it. King Ahab and Jezebel's daughter is married to King Jehoshaphat's son. Yeah. You've got to study that Bible. <laughs> All, right. All right. So King Jehoshaphat is a good king, but he makes some mistakes. And some of his mistakes include giving his son in marriage. And, and it says in Second Chronicles that the reason he does it to give to Jezebel Jr. is their daughter married to his son, good king's son, to form an alliance. He wants to make everybody happy. Can't we all be friends? You know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, and everybody's... Okay, never mind. I'm not going to sing that for you. But do you get it? See, so the two kings... This was Israel under David and Solomon, but it split. Now you have two nations, really, until the end. Judah in the south and uh, Israel in the north. Now they're going to combine, and they're gonna go, they want to go after this king to get uh, their Ramoth Gilead. It belongs to Israel. It was given to the tribe of Gad, and, and it was a, re- a city of refugee for uh, refugees, a city of refuge. There we go. It just added an extra syllable. That's all I did there. All right, so are you, are you, do you have that down now? So uh, as I said, three years have gone by. He wants it back. And so he says, you want to go take back uh, Ramoth Gilead with me? And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat says, you know what? Your grandson and my grandson, we're both grandfathers to the same son or daughter. So let's do this. All right. So they're going to do this together. All right. So verse 5. But Jehoshaphat, after agreeing to go up in in battle with this king Ahab, also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel, Ahab, brought together the prophets, I use that loosely, about 400 men, and asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat, the good king, with an ounce of discernment, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because because he never prophesies anything good about me. But always bad. This guy is like a two-year-old all the time. He's always acting like that. Uh, So the name of the man of God is Micaiah. Uh, uh, The king should not say those kinds of things, Jehoshaphat says. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, 
son of Imlah, at once. So let's pause there. Number two, if you're taking notes, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord, or saying you're seeking the Lord. Uh, Now, Jehoshaphat is a believer, and so um, Proverbs 20 and verse 18 He's, he's got the wisdom. Make plans by seeking advice, the Proverbs say. If you wage war, obtain guidance. And so Jehoshaphat's no foolish man. He's going to not leave the table before saying, hey, haven't we forgotten something here? Let's seek the Lord. And I could just see King Ahab's face. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> of course, of course we're. Hey, honey, get the prophets. And so here we go. Now, it's going to be hard for him because King Ahab's already decided what he wants to do. He's mad at that king of Syria. I spared his life. He said he's going to give me back all the cities. He hasn't given me back the city. Ramad, uh, Ramoth Gilead is a strategic city. He wants that city. He's already made up his mind. He doesn't want to know what the Lord thinks. He's never asked the Lord for anything before. And so he says, you want prophets? We've got prophets. So he calls in the 400 paid palace chaplains. You know, they're not men of God. They got ordained on the internet for $39.95. <laughs> Just send in thirty-nine <laughs> And in one week from now, you could be a reverend, and you could put that on your office door. We have that. We have that all over town, you see? Now, uh, when I was at UCSF 10 years ago, I was in a a pretty tough situation there uh, with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I was getting my chemotherapy, and a chaplain came by and said, hospital chaplain. He came by to encourage me. I said, hey, man, what's up? You're a chaplain. He goes, yes, I am. And I said, encourage me. And I need encouragement. So the more he talked, the more I said, are you going to mention Jesus or God in this encouragement at all? And he goes, oh, I wouldn't want it. You know, we don't. <laughs> I said, <"Are> you? <laughs> you know, here I am. I'm supposed to be getting well. I'm supposed to be with blood pressure low. Right, And so now I'm starting to get agitated. I said, what do you mean you're not going to mention Jesus or the Bible? Well, there are people of all faiths here. Yeah. So you're a chaplain, though. You're supposed to be giving me hope, right? And, and, and uh, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, not probably in the way you do. And I said, God is going to hold you so accountable, going from bed to bed with chaplain, and everybody thinks you're clergy, and, and you don't even know Jesus. And he said, well, yeah, I don't know Jesus in the way you know him. And I said, well, that's probably an important thing, to, to know him the way he can be known, you know. And so these are these guys. They're not the false prophets. They're, they're just Israelites who are fallen, And they're paid by Jezebel as well. And so they just are there to tell the guy what he wants to hear. Now, one commentator said, let's not be too hard on this practice of asking advice from those whom we know are apt to tell us what we want to hear. You know, when you go to somebody and you tell them the whole story, you prime the pump and you set it all up, and you just kind of subtly let them know what you're hoping 
for, to, to come of the situation. And then you say, well, what do you think? <laughs> you know what? I have another note here that says, don't go to your friends or those who have a soft spot for you when you need a word that might be hard for them to deliver to you. Well, uh, Ahab doesn't go that way. He doesn't roll that way. He wants these guys to say, yes, go, yes, go. So Jehoshaphat has some discernment, doesn't he? He looks around, he sees all the fawning and all the flattery, and he looks at him and goes, seriously? <laughs> seriously, these 400 guys, there's not one prop, there's not one pastor in the whole country that you can't call, and we can find what God is uh, saying about this? And so he says, yeah, I know a real pastor, but I hate the guy. He al- he's always giving me bad news. He never tells me what I want to hear. He's no fun at all. His name is Micaiah. And so I love Jehoshaphat. He says, you shouldn't talk like that. I really, that's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. He just looks at him and goes, you, you shouldn't be saying that. There's, there's something wrong with you, man. And it's like, go get him. So I, I have a little note to Mr. Ahab, just from me personally. It says, um, Mr. Ahab, uh, get your life right with God, and I guarantee you'll start to hear some good news, and you might start to like the pastor. <laughs> because if he gets his life right with God, but listen, a, a sinning heart will never have any good news from the pulpit. If your heart is hard and you're bent on doing something that and just justifying with your head something your heart condemns, all right, when that's the case, nothing from the pulpit is ever going to sound good to you. Oh, man, all the time, all the time. Every genuine Christian knows what it's like to become someone's enemy or put on the hate list because you have to speak the truth. Amen? And by the way, Ahab, you don't hate Micaiah. You hate the Lord. Your problem isn't with the guy. He's just telling you the truth of God. How, that's not the problem. The problem is with the Lord. Verse 10. So they're going to go get the man of God. So they're dressed in their royal robes. Verse 10. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says, with these, with these you will gore the Arameans until they're destroyed. All the other prophets were chiming in, saying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said. For the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said... As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. Love that. Okay, so the pressure's on. Number three, the pressure's on. Micaiah's metal's about to be tested. So imagine now 
a prophet in rags and chains. He's coming from prison. We know that in verse 26, he goes back to prison. So we know he's coming from prison. Now, so there he is in his chains and his rags, and he's standing before two, not one king, but two, in their royal robes, with 400 frenzied so-called prophets, men of God, prophesying in front. That's a lot of pressure, quite a scene. So uh, Zedekiah is a prophet. He seems to be the main guy there, and he's kind of speaking for all the 400. So he's the charismatic drama king, right? So he goes home, and he forges some horns uh, out of iron, and he comes in, and he's goring playfully saying, this is what the Lord says. You guys with God's power are going to gore those guys. You know, I don't like that guy. I don't like, I just don't like that. You know, first of all, you're lying. Second of all, the whole show, you know, whatever. So 400 chanting voices, yes, we can. Yes, we can in the background, right? To make matters worse, the soldier who's hauling in the man of God says to him, oh, by the way, listen up. You hear that chanting? They're all like, oh, everybody's already decided it. The boss man wants to go get the city back. It's our city. He wants to go. He wants the blessing. And he's got it with 400 guys, man. You need to add your blessing if you know what's good for you. And Micaiah looks at him and says, it doesn't work that way. All right? It doesn't work that way. I like when one writer said, all true believers feel Micaiah's pressure day in and day out to go along with the crowd and give the politically correct answers instead of what God is saying. Let, not, let us not only feel his pressure, but imitate his passion. You and I are brought before the crowd every single day. Did God really say this? Is this really the way it is? Yeah, a lot of pressure. But he said, you know what? I can only say what the book says. I can only say what the word says. I'm his representative. I can't change it. I can't make amendments to make my own life more convenient or comfortable. I can't change things or gloss it over or cut and paste. I'm just not allowed to do that. You know what? Verse 15. Okay, here he comes. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, straight and simple. Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give, you into the, give it into the king's hands. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? <laughs> then Micaiah answers, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab? into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there. One suggested this, and another suggested that. Finally, a spirit came forward, a, a fallen demon, 
all right, stood before the Lord. They have access to heaven, by the way. Job, read Job chapter 1. You'll see that there. Revelation, you, you see Satan falling from heaven because he was in heaven. Uh, they have access up there. Finally, a spirit comes forward, verse 21, stands before the Lord and says, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the guy with the horns, <laughs> uh, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. In the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? He asked. Micaiah replied, oh, you're going to find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this guy in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever do return safely, the Lord hasn't spoken through me. Then he said, mark my words, all you people. All right, let's pause there. Three, number three was the pressure is on now. Number four, prophecies given. Here's the truth. The truth is going into battle will end in disaster. Israel will lose and Ahab will die. Where do the Micaiahs in the world get that kind of confidence? The answer, he just had a fresh vision of the Lord. He just saw the Lord in a vision seated on his throne. And you, you and I have Revelation chapter 1. We know what that vision looks like. Surrounded by the hosts of heaven, he said, I saw in a vision the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, ruling and reigning over the universe with all the myriad of myriads of holy ones around his throne. When you have a vision, a fresh vision, and you hear the voice of the Lord, you fear displeasing the one on the throne way more than anybody standing in front of you, any man or a woman who has breath in their nostrils, as the psalmist says. And so uh, the fear of God helps you avoid the snare of being afraid of men. So how about us? You have the word of God. You have prayer. You have Christian fellowship. I don't go a week without feeling like the Lord said something to me. Through the word. It's always through the word. When I'm reading the word, I'll get a little, little prompt like, wow, that was for me. You know? Even when you don't have any feelings and you're just reading the word and you're just reading about what the Lord looks like in heaven, you're just reminded, I've got to stand up for this. Or when you read passages about how the world ends, Revelation chapter 6 to 18 talks about the end of the world as we know it. And it looks like an all-out nuclear war. (laughs) When you're just reading and opening your heart, you're hearing the voice, the word of God is doing a work, and you're going to be more like Micaiah. 
in this world. You need to be more like Micaiah because the kings are asking. The crowd, the 400 are out there prophesying. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. God loves everybody. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Jesus isn't the only way. The 400 are already talking about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life. And, and they're the majority. And it always seems like the majority is right, but now we are the minority. And unless you have a fresh thing with the Lord, you're going you're gonna to wind up with the 400. A fresh word from the Lord. That'll be the answer. So the sarcasm apparently was pretty uh, uh, obvious. He says at first, he says, uh, tell me, what do you think? He says, attack and be victorious. The Lord's going to give it to your, into your hands because you are such a good king. <laughs> so he says, do I have to beat it out of you? Because I will. All right, so you've got to tell me the truth. Well, already we know Ahab knows. He's telling him, go ahead, do it. Oh, you're going to be blessed. Hey, tell me the truth. Because he knows that's not the truth. And so uh, Micaiah says, okay, I had a vision of the army running around like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. Meaning this, there was no king there. Meaning I had a vision, you're dead. You're not in the vision because you're gone. All right? And so let the people go home in peace. Don't do this thing. And that's when he turns to Jehoshaphat. Ahab does and says, told you. Didn't I tell you? Always gloom and doom with this guy. Now, I have a note here. Who should Ahab love? The guy with the truth that would have saved his life or the guys who are lying to him whose advice will lead him to disaster? But people love the the liars. They love the liars. And they hate the truth tellers. Oh, Thank you. That's all I have to say about that. And and by the way, who really loves Ahab? Who loves Ahab? Micaiah. Micaiah loves Ahab because he's telling him, man, you're going to die. You've got time. Don't do it. That's a loving thing to do. The hateful thing to do is say, hey, who cares about you? You Go, go, go. Do whatever you want. That's hate. The world wants to hear what its itching ears are itching for. And so they've accumulated the 400 guys who's going to come and scratch. And they scratch. Now, uh, verse 20 and 23, he's going to tell the whole thing in a nutshell. He says, okay, king, here's what I saw going on. Uh, The Lord has determined that you must die. And he sent some volunteer demonic spirits your way who are using these guys to deceive you into uh, going into battle. Uh, Since you're not interested in the truth, he's going to give you the lie. The Lord is, is not a liar, nor does he lie to us. But if you're not interested in the truth, then he's free to use whatever he wants to do there. So the Lord has determined that he has to die, and he's going to dece- allow you to be deceived. So just then, Jedekiah, Je- Zedekiah, the guy with the horns, says, who you calling liars, slaps him across the face, 
And then he says, and mocks him and says, uh, tell me about that spirit. All right? And so then he answers back with the prophecy and he says, oh, you're going to know all about it someday when you're hiding from the enemy inside your closet. Now, if I were that guy, I would never want to go inside a closet. <laughs> I would just stay really away. If the enemy was coming, I'd run into open fields, you know. But uh, not that that would help. But anyway, uh, uh, you're, you'll be getting more than a slap is what he's saying. You know, when people lose an argument and they feel like they're not getting their way, what do they resort to always? Violence and mockery, you know? I mean, they were losing the case with Paul, slap him in the face. They were losing the case with Jesus, punch him in the mouth, crucify him. You see, that's the way the world works. And verse 26 and 28, Ahab is determined to do his own thing. So he demands that they put the man of God back in prison. And I love this. Uh, Just keep him alive with bread and water until I get back so that I can tell him, see, told you so. And then he says, if you ever do get back, then everybody here knows that God is not using me. You know, mark my words. He says, write it down, folks. Write it down. So they haul him off, and here they go. 29 to 40, and we're going to close up there. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, (laughs) listen to this, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. (laughs) Now, this is even funnier. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. I mean, Jehoshaphat did it. Uh, Okay, you got to figure this guy out. Verse 31. Now, the king of Syria had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. Spot him with the robes, right? Verse 32. When the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow. Now notice, someone, some guy, drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot, and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread throughout the army, every man to his, his town, everyone to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at the pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed, and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. As for the other events in Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built and inlaid with ivory, and the cities he fortified, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, succeeded him 
as king. We're going to pause there. The prophecy is given, and now the prophecy is fulfilled because it's, it went ignored. Now, commentators agree they don't understand Jehoshaphat on a couple levels because he's ordinarily a very good king. In fact, I'm going to pause here. Tonight, we're not going to read the rest because uh, I want to talk about Jehoshaphat next week. And I also want to go to that famous Second Chronicles 20 uh, incident with Jehoshaphat. And uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, story. So we're going to take a look at that. But normally, this guy's a hero. He's got some imperfections. But what's up with, uh, first of all, he goes into battle. Why? A few reasons, maybe. There's more pressure on him from his son's father-in-law than we know. Or, uh, you know, he's patriotic and it's the right thing to do. It belongs to Israel. Uh, and, and he wants to go. We already saw that he wants to go. So he maybe just fatalistic thing. God's will is going to be done. Let's just go. And, it, and maybe he just has a lot of faith and maybe that's why he agrees to wear the robes. Why don't you wear the robes and I'll go in disguise? And he goes, okay. Uh, I don't understand that either. Uh, one commentator said he's either very smart, uh, he's either not very smart or he has a lot of faith. He probably has a lot of faith. He's probably thinking, well, I'm not in the prophecy. If anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to him whether I'm wearing the robes or not. Well, when he's wearing the robes, just as we thought, the king of Syria says, listen, it's all about killing the king. It's like chess. Take the king out and you win. So go after the king. So they go after the guy with the robes, right? And uh, he's going to take him out. Now, this really bothered me. This is the guy who came with the noose. And said, you win, brother. I'm as good as dead. Just say the word. I know you'll kill me. But have mercy on me, man. I'll give you back cities and everything. And Ahab said, okay, you're my brother. And they had a big hug. And, you know, he went on his way. This is the guy who says, I don't care what you do. All 32 of you chariots. Kill the king. The king that spared his life. An ungrateful wretch of a man. Amen? Amen. Uh, totally. I love this, this scripture, Proverbs seventeen thirteen. Evil will never leave the house of one who pays back evil for good. It's not a good thing to do. If someone spares your life, then you want to kill him? Sheesh. Uh, now the mistake here, they mistake Jehoshaphat for him. They close in on him. Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord. I thought it was funny because when he calls out to the Lord, they say, hey, that's not Ahab. Is it because they know, hey, he's praying. That's not Ahab. That can't be Ahab. But I don't think it's actually that, but it sounds like that in the text. So they realize they have the wrong guy. They're pursuing the wrong guy. Uh, Psalm 50 verse 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. So that's a beautiful promise that uh, our uh, Jehoshaphat took to his heart. Now, the random arrow. Oh, come on. It, you know, when God does stuff like this, I just see he, he paints this beautiful picture. It's, it's beautiful. And then he signs it. You know, 
the Lord. You know, because who could, it's, it's some guy, he's anonymous. Nobody even knows. Hey, who killed him? Oh, some guy. <laughs> uh, wow, he's a pretty good shot to get, no, it was a whoops. He was pulling back and it went, whoa, whoops, and it just went flying. And it, and it went through the chariot window in, in between the section of, the, of, of his armor. Boom. Random. The Lord. That's a, that's a word I said. Just see, just, just an arrow. Now listen, I want to say this. The, I wrote it down. Men who spend a lifetime dodging God's relentless arrows of love in the end must find his arrow of justice. God says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but I rather that they will turn from their wicked ways and live. That's the heart of the Lord. Oh, the Lord will say, yeah, 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 man, this is going to be fun. Random arrow, a sin-seeking arrow. You know, listen. We bless God and how happy we are for a Savior who took the sin-seeking arrow and opened his arms and said, hit me. Hit me instead of them. And whomever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got a God who doesn't delight in, in shooting arrows from heaven to kill people. We've got a God who delighted in shooting his son through with an arrow of his wrath so that whosoever will come to him and never have to experience the arrow of his wrath. Amen. Amen. Now, many men uh, who are cowards spiritually are brave on the battlefield. It just is the way it is. You've got a lot of brave soldiers who just are cowards spiritually because they won't give their hearts over to the Lord, but they're brave men. And this guy's a brave guy. He says, prop me up. Even though he's dying, prop me up, face me toward the enemy lines so that everybody can not lose heart. And so there he is. Mercy of God, once again, give the guy all day to repent. All day, he's bleeding to death, sorry. All day long, He's thinking of the Holy Spirit's reminding him of the prophecies, not just of Micaiah, but of Elijah. And so he has to think, how did that arrow get through? Oh, just as he said it would. Oh, God, he's got the whole afternoon. That's how God is. Just repent. Oh, talk to me, man, talk to me. I hope he did. I hope he did. And so, uh, yeah, there's no escape of that arrow. It's either Jesus paid it or we get it, you know. Now, uh, son said he bleeds to death, and then the cry goes out, Ahab's dead, go home. And so no shepherd, sheep scattered, army retreats. We've seen this picture before. And Jezebel's uh, husband now is footnoted in his death. Check the death out. Washing out the chariot, a disgusting sight. Why does the Holy Spirit want you to know that? And why does he say, 
by the place where the prostitutes bathe. A disgusting way to die at an immoral place. Fitting for the one who lived in a disgusting and immoral way. When you live in a disgusting, immoral way, you die in a disgusting, immoral way. Wasn't it Balaam who just was hanging out with, checking out the Jews and seeing the blessing of God's people, and he said, let me die the death of the righteous. And I always want to say to him right there, you know, if you want to die the death of the righteous, you've got to live the, the life of the righteous being right with God and then dying in that way, there's a blessing because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And so that's what we're shooting for. But the prophecy's fulfilled. The dogs come running just like the Lord told him. And uh, the prophecies are fulfilled. I like verse 39. The Holy Spirit's saying, here's the man who built the palace inlaid with ivory. They're washing out the chariot by the place where the prostitutes bathe. You can't enjoy the inlaid ivory, right? And then it says, here's the guy who fortified all those cities, but he can't live there. Everybody who's reading the story would rather be in prison eating bread and water with Micaiah than in Ahab's golden chariot, Right? With a clean conscience, I'd rather be thrown in that dungeon eating a, a crusty piece of bread and just knowing I'm, my soul is safe, it's clean, I'm right with God. Oh, that would be inlaid with ivory for me just to know, oh, God, I, I'm pleasing God. I, I, I was tested. He put me out there. I, I gave the word. I got in trouble for it, and here I am, but God's with me, and God's pleased Oh, I'd rather be there than in the inlaid ivory palaces in the fortified cities. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word that just speaks so uh, vividly to our hearts. Oh, Lord, we, we love putting our, putting our sinful natures in check. And every one of us in this room felt that happening tonight. Uh, the the self-centered part of us, the, the part that's prone to wonder, the part that's just dragging its heels all the time. That part, Lord, we're listening to that and, and get letting the fear of the Lord uh, push that part of us back onto the cross where it's crucified and rendered dead so that we could live the life you want us to have, the resurrected life. And so we thank you for these wonderful words that keep us walking with you in a healthy, spirit-filled way. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. I went to get something to eat for lunch at Trader Joe's today, and I was in the checkout line, and there was just me and a woman in front of me. And uh, I was just daydreaming about the sermon, to tell you the truth, and to the back of her head. And suddenly she turned and looked straight at me, and I kind of came to. And I, I said, hey, hey, hi. Uh, I, yeah, we, I know you. She was looking at me like I, we knew each other. And I said, 
you look familiar, yeah. So, and, and she says, martial arts? And I said, no. <laughs> you don't mean to laugh like that. Not that funny. And then I said, church? And she said, spiritual center? And I said, oh. And I said, no, but uh, maybe our lives have crossed paths in, uh, yeah. And she said, I said, well, you were looking at me like you recognized me. She said, you have a strong presence about you. And I, and I was like, oh, no, not that again. <laughs> like, uh, uh, that's called the Holy Spirit, all right? No. She said, so what are you, I said, I'm just daydreaming about the Bible study tonight. She said, what are you teaching on? And I said, have you ever heard of King Ahab? First Kings 22. And she said, no, I haven't. And then she said, what's the bottom line that you want them to take away tonight? And I was like, (laughs) and out of my mouth just came, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. And she said, obey the Lord. The, The checker started to get agitated. As they often do. (laughs) Obey the Lord. And she said, how might we know what the Lord wants? I said, his word. And then she said, you mean the Bible? And I said, yeah, the Bible. She said, oh, I stay clear of that book. Right. Well, and she told me all the reasons why. And then I was trying to engage the the checker. She would not talk to me. Not, not even a word. Nothing. She just said 642. <laughs> Over and I said, but yeah, blah, blah, blah. 642. <laughs> okay. So here's my point. O- o- obey the Lord. Just obey the Lord. Not because you're afraid you're going to get an arrow, but because he took the arrow for you. And in love, his commandments are not burdensome. It's a joy to love somebody like the Lord. And, and to obey him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. So let's do as I told our friend in uh, Trader Joe's. Obey the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father God, we pray now, first of all, for our friend in the line, both the checker and the, the gal from the spiritual center. Lord, truly you were prompting her <laughs> and... Uh, May the seed sown in her heart uh, grow, and may you uh, deal with her in kindness and love and help her by opening her eyes to the truth. We pray that she might obey the Lord and read your word and love your word and love you. And we pray also for the checker, God, that you would soften her heart and help her to, to know that these words are not just by accident that she hears them, but that you're working to win her too. And we pray for all of us, God, that we take these words to heart to be blessed by you, to be a blessing to others. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, don't forget about Pastor Jim at the cross. He wants to pray with you. And if not, we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.